Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Smoke them if you got them, Johnny. Morning Combat is back. Hello, everyone. It is the 11th of April, 2022, and it is time for your official kickoff to the new fight week, the wrap-up of the old fight week, all things new and old. And speaking of all things new and old, no, Brian Campbell didn't lose 100 pounds or get normal colored hair or grow a wonderful mustache. This is my, well, I won't say new co-host, but certainly co-host for today. Brian Campbell, of course, is on vacation, fresh off of his trip to UFC 273. It is my friend and yours, Mr. 305 himself, Danny Segura. Hi, Danny. How are you? And welcome to the show, my good, good friend. I'm doing well. I'm refreshed. Finally rested up from the UFC 273 fight week. Hectic, hectic stuff. And uh, here we are to talk about it because a lot went on, not only in MMA, but also the world of boxing. So, Thank you for having me, Luke. I'm excited to be here, and uh, let's get it rolling. All right. Rate Jacksonville. In ter- I'm going to give you the Florida power rankings. I'm going to say you're going to put Miami one, so whatever. Tampa, I'll throw Jacksonville in there, and then I'll throw in – you know what? Actually, no. Those are where the three NFL teams have uh, are from, right? Rank those cities yeah. for me. Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville. I mean, I, I like Tampa. <laughs> Tampa's not too bad. Uh, I mean, Jacksonville yeah. isn't bad either, but um, – not, not my team. Yeah, it's not I like great. a little bit more of the more of the city life, a little bit more more movement going on. Yeah, you know uh, what was totally- creepy? The the just real quick, the downtown, like here in Miami, like downtown is just buzzing all the time, all the time. Cars everywhere. You know, Miami track traffic is infamous. In Jacksonville, yeah. the weirdest thing is the downtown is not uh, hectic at all. At night, it's no. not. So you think, oh, maybe it's just offices, but during the day, you don't see many cars or many people either. So. <laughs> Dude, I was tell- oh, Danny, Danny and I were talking about this previously, and I, I've traveled through the Midwest. Like I've been to Des Moines, Iowa, and of course, Des Moines, Iowa is not exactly Jacksonville, Florida. It's much, it's much different in a lot of different ways. Uh, but, but the point I was trying to make was, you go through a lot of these sort of like Middle America, you know, downtown cities that are still important cities. Like Des Moines, Iowa is obviously for election season is incredibly important. Uh, they're empty. They're completely empty. So you know you're in like a top five, top ten, top seven, certainly top five market if downtown is all with. What's the downtown part of uh, what is it? Ocean Drive is that the big, the big street yeah. in Miami? Well, uh, that's more like touristy. Uh, but like the okay. downtown would be like you know Brickell and and just Overtown and, and that area. Which actually Habib's uh, studios for Eagle FC are in Overtown. They're like prime Miami spot. I, okay, that's actually surprising to hear, but very cool just the same. All right, we have a lot to get to today. UFC 273 is in the books. Danny was there. We'll talk about his experience as well. Plus, Danny indicated there was Ryan Garcia who was back. There was Lubin Fundora over the weekend. And, of course, Triple G had a very impressive showing, all bit with a little bit of trouble along the way. So we're going to get to all of that. Thumbs up. If you are watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe if you would be so kind. And, of course, this is going to be a huge, huge week for showtime why friday bellator 277 the finals of the light heavyweight grand prix between vadim nemkov and Corey anderson a sensational fight winner has a rightful claim as the number one light heavyweight in the world i do believe that and then certainly you have the rematch between aj mckee and patricio pitbull both of those fights friday night on bellator uh, and then on showtime regular and then of course showtime pay-per-view on saturday the fight i have been very much looking forward to uh, Spence versus Ugas. So if you don't have Showtime, 
Don't know what you're waiting for. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go somewhere else. So if you don't have it yet, you can watch Bulletor 277 gratis. Uh, that's up to you. Also, we have a store, morningcombat.store. We have all new stuff up there, I'm told, or I think. I'm not entirely sure, but I know our sale is over. Morningcombat.store to get all the merch that you might love or not. That's more BC's thing, to be candid with you. Although I love our merch guy, too. He does a great job. Uh, last but not least, morningcombat at gmail.com to reach the show for Wednesdays. Uh, fan subs Friday's dead wrong we are going to of course have the show in Texas together with BC on Friday so we really need your submissions for that and um, I, oh you know what be, uh, Danny how could I forget that uh, both you and I it should be noted are Nord VPN customers yep. uh, both of us use it Danny I'll just ask you why did you have a Nord VPN on your computer or the software uh, in- yeah internationally as well as you can use it here in in the states is great uh i love it i used it all the time when i was covering the jaid fight uh when he fought jeremy stevens in in mexico that's when actually i got it that was like what like 2019 um and i was using it all the time um vpns are great i i I love them so uh i'm a i'm a customer of uh nord and uh, i'll continue to be it's great service all right, if you guys don't know, you can get the NordVPN app. Just make sure it's up-to-date on your phone. It helps you with malicious malware, websites, trackers, intrusive ads, all kinds of stuff. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash combat. Combat, of course, with a K. Or use the code combat with a K to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Yeah, along with the amazing cybersecurity benefits and getting the ability to access streaming services in other countries with no extra cost, NordVPN now comes with free anti-malware feature, which provides your device from malware, malicious ads, and phishing sites. All right. Very good. Uh, With that out of the way, let us move into topic number one. Of course, we start with what else? The crown jewel of the weekend for MMA fans. UFC 273 is now in the books, and the champion retains. Alexander Volkanovsky scores a TKO win in the 45 seconds into the fourth round. Pardon me. But, Danny, it seems fair to say that the real story of this fight is that Volkanovsky was miles ahead of the Korean zombie. So he retained his title. He proved that he was far superior to zombie in this contest. When it was all said and done, what else did Alexander Volkanovsky prove to you? Yeah, I think um, we're, there's a recipe right now brewing, and I don't know what exactly, what ingredient is left or what fight will we need in order for that whole thing to be complete, but something special is brewing here and and one you know uh alexander volkanovsky is just on an incredible run i believe what uh 21 fight uh, unbeaten streak now he has wins over the two best or arguably the best featherweights of all time max holloway and jose aldo and now he's starting to rack up title defenses he's still fairly early in the title defenses but look if he continues down this path and i'm not asking for huge amounts of evolution or to do something uh extra go up a division or whatever just continue defending the belt. If he does that long enough, plus he has a win over a fairly prime Jose Aldo and definitely a prime Max Holloway twice, and obviously not keeping in mind that they might meet a third time and he might get a third victory over him. I mean, with a record like that, with a win over the, the two GOATs, how do you not uh, have a claim in being the best featherweight of all time? So I, I do think he's stepping on, on something great here. I do think he's stepping on, on greatness 
And uh, pound for pound, I mean, I think he's definitely up there in, in the conversation along with Kamaru Usman. Again, I don't know what fight will do it. Maybe it'll have to be that trilogy fight with Max Holloway, but Alexander Volkanovsky is around the corner of becoming the featherweight GOAT, in my opinion. You know, it's kind of interesting when you think about it because certainly I recognize that both Holloway fights carry a degree of controversy. Some of it fair, some of it not, but it's there and it's, it's just a part of the story at this point. And in some ways, it set back Volkanovsky, right? It really set him back because he entered his championship reign under this cloud of skepticism based on people who felt like Max Holloway was wronged or the judges did a poor job or some combination thereof. But in some way, maybe in the long run, it's actually kind of helping him because he's he's basically having to go door to door and convince everyone he is actually as good as he says he is he is actually a next level elite champion has a claim to your point maybe as being the pound for pound best fighter in the sport based on his competition record and so this slow process of of convincing various segments of the fan base various segments of the the skeptical community around how good he actually is he's having to manually so to speak convince them and it's it's slow going but now it's really beginning to pick up momentum where the body of work even through his championship run especially in the last two but prior to that again 21 unbeaten streak uh, in terms of wins and fights he's produced something at this point that basically like there's a I, i was talking about this yesterday I think the skeptics are in various stages of grief, right? And one of those stages of grief, uh, stages of grief is okay. I don't like him, but I definitely respect him. There's a lot of that going around now. Before, before it was, I don't think he's a, he, he's 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 even the champion. That was a fraudulent win. Blah 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 blah. And now he's at this point where, begrudgingly, even the folks who didn't believe in him before, I have just simply no choice but to acknowledge how good he is. I, I'll just say it again. I I watch this guy compete. And I don't think there's a lot of folks, you could probably count them on one hand, who have a guy who cannot just deliver on a very advanced skill set, but people who have married that with a broader conception of what fighting should be, what it should look like, and how you go about setting the context for what is advantageous for you, and then the depth of pulling that out. There's just not that level of sophisticated thought and planning outside of him and a few other guys it's extraordinary to watch what he's done did you get a sense danny when you were there because it was kind of quiet during that main event that he was not maybe getting all the fans in the world but that he was convincing skeptics oh yeah for sure i mean if you if you ask me to show a fan what sort of is the highest level of skill set and abilities attainable in today modern MMA in 2022, I'd have to show you footage of Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, he can do it all, right? And I think it's important, and he said it throughout Fight Week, that I wanted to add that Korean zombie name to my resume. And, and it's not really because Korean zombie was this huge test and, and this boogeyman, and he had to get through him to sort of prove that he's one of the better guys at 145. I think we all had a feeling that this was going to go down, but obviously a legend just to add to the resume. But again, he just has to keep up what he's doing. Um, he might not be the greatest fighter right now, the greatest featherweight of all time, because that's married to achievement. And again, he's still very early on into his uh, title reign. But as far as skill set, what's who is the best, which is a different conversation than great. Volkanovski is is up there. I mean, what he's doing is is just cutting edge 
of the techniques and abilities that uh, we can that are attainable today in 2022. So Alexander Volkanovsky is certainly a, an incredible talent. And if you don't respect him, if you don't like him, you're you're not a fan of MMA because frankly, uh, he is pushing the boundaries on technique. He is pushing the boundaries on what's attainable as far as skill. And uh, it's it's been beautiful to watch. To be honest, that fight with Korean Zombie was just eye-opening. I mean, the fact that he could be so many levels. It's not even a level. So many levels above a, a guy like Korean Zombie, who is obviously very skilled. When, when did you realize after the fight started that Zombie was in trouble? Oh, right, right off the first round. I mean, there was just a clear, clear difference in speed. The zombie was trying everything. I mean, it almost looked like a sparring footage when, like, uh, maybe a, a pro welcomes in an amateur, like, okay, step into the pro practice. And, and again, I don't mean no disrespect to Korean Zombie uh, by saying that. I'm just, this is just how good Volkanovsky is. But obviously, Volkanovsky was, was trying, but this wasn't some ridiculous effort that he constantly had to get out of him, kind of like the Gilbert Burns and Hamza Shimaev, where they're just pushing the boundaries and just redlining the engine the entire time. Volkanovsky was out there fighting pretty comfortably, sticking to the plan. And everything that Korean Zombie threw his way, he had an answer for. So um, it was evident. And, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy in the sense that that fight could have been stopped sooner, that maybe the coaches should have thrown in the towel. If this were boxing, and I tweeted that last night, this fight would have already been over. I think by the second round, we already had an answer that there was only one way this fight could go. Yeah, you know what's funny was to me, I, I remember in the first round, I can't remember the timestamps. I'd have to go back and look, but there was the first real good combination that he had thrown, and uh, Volkanovski, and it all of it landed, and it landed like super flush on Chan Sung Jung. Now, what's funny about that is if this was 10 years ago, or well, 11 years ago, whatever, and he was getting landed on flush, you'd be like, yeah, that's about what happens to him. But it, it became significantly rarer, again, relative to how it used to be over time, because not only did his offense get better, his defense got better. You know, If somebody can make this version of the Korean zombie look like the old version of himself, there has to be a major gap in ability. And one thing I want to say is I totally agree, Danny. I totally agree that there was a massive speed difference and that Volkanovsky looked like lightning. I, I guarantee that he is ordinarily quick, explosive, works on that, you know, tries to maintain speed through through mechanical function, all of that. But another part of this should not be lost, which is that you don't need even all of that speed if you've got great timing. How many times did he faint a reaction out of Korean Zombie and then blast him for it at the end of a punch when Zombie is the most vulnerable and never saw it coming? He did it constantly in this fight. Or he would go before, or he would slip off to the side and go in between or break his rhythm. Or he was... He, he, he was... The timing on everything he does, whether it's to break a base, to um, to come over the top of a jab, to slip, to, to pull counter, whatever it is, the timing on it is excellent. So when you marry those physical gifts with the timing, it is a very formidable thing to beat. Most guys, like a Ryan Garcia, who we'll talk about a little bit later, okay, he's got a little bit of both too, but a lot of what he does is very much speed and explosive-oriented. I don't think it should be lost on folks, and it should not be lost in the story, that a big portion of this is the skill from the timing he's developed as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. You marry the speed, you marry the timing, you marry the feints, 
and the fight almost looked like Korean Zombie was lagging. Like he was just a few seconds behind and we were looking at two different uh, videos, two different streams of the fight. Um, because that's what it was. Like he would do something, he would react, and by the time he'd be reacting to something, Volkanovski would be coming uh, at him with something completely new and different. So um, 100%. And I think uh, I even asked him, it looked so uh, unreal that I'm like, did you work for this fight to slim down, try to get a little quicker? And he's like, no, nah, I've been around the same way. I think that's when you go like, okay, it's not just speed or explosivity. Like this guy's timing and fainting, how you mentioned, is obviously uh, adding into this whole um, striking display that he puts on. All right, so a couple more questions about this. Where would you like to see Volkanovski go next? Do you think it has to be the Max Holloway fight, or could he go to lightweight? And if he went to lightweight, who would he fight first? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I want to see the Max Holloway because, as you said, um, you know, they did fight twice. I know he's 2-0, but there is a little bit of that sour taste uh, left in many people's uh, mouths. And I think, you know, in order to get rid of that, why don't you just fight him a third time, right? Even if it's still a close fight. Like, dude, if in three fights, Max Holloway is not able to rack up a win, I think we would have an answer on who the better fighter is. And obviously, extremely close fights, but, uh, you know, 3-0 is 3-0. So, I'd like to see that for Volkanovski because I really do think he's a phenomenal talent. And in order to shut up and silence the critics fully, he needs that third victory over Max Holloway, which sounds ridiculous to say a little bit. Like, you need a third win in order to prove people that you're uh, the best right now at 145 pounds. But that's what I'd like to see. Um, at 155, you know, that division is a little bit of a mess right now. I think there's a, a long line of contenders. I don't think it's the perfect time to jump in there. But if so, if he was going to make a move to 155, I would like for him to kind of do the Anderson Silva route where Anderson Silva was king at 185 pounds and goes up to find like a Stefan Bonner, James Irving, stuff like that. So like not the very top contender. I don't want to see him, but just dabble. Let's just see how he looks at 155. Let's see how his skills translate. Let's just have a little bit of a showcase fight, which I think the UFC doesn't put on too often and, and they probably should. Um, but I wouldn't want to see him to dive straight into a, a contender because I think there's work to be done at 145 pounds. Again, as he said, he's like turning the corner on the featherweight goat. I feel like he's not too far for that argument. And in order to do that, you need title defenses. So um, I don't want to see him just leave 145 just yet. I'll tell you what. I think they have to do that Max Holloway fight for the third time. I mean, they don't have to. It's, can you imagine? I, I've, I've thought about this before. Can you imagine having fought Max Holloway 10 fucking rounds and all people are saying is, got to see five more. Dude, that's 10 rounds against one of the best. <laughs> like, that is such an achievement. I, I Granted, I understand that it's very, very close. I, I, I completely understand all the scoring controversies. I'm just saying, I, can you imagine Volkanovski waking up, looking in the mirror and being like, I fought this guy for 10 rounds and people are demanding five more? It's just bananas. But... I do agree. I mean, they both have the three title defenses. They have those two very close contests. There's a real big moment here about a placement in featherweight history that kind of has to get, doesn't have to, but it would be nice to settle given that they are sort of like, if you want to say Jose has the longest you know, uh, overall body yeah. of work as a champion at one, this would be 2A, 2B, and you kind of have to sort it. And I made this point previously, Danny, on other MKs, which is that the one thing that Max really had going for him is he not just beat Jose Aldo to get it, he did it back-to-back, -back, and then both of those times he stopped it. Volkanovski yeah. had to do something similar, but he had the two close fights with Max as opposed to the two sort of definitive statements. And then because of that, there is this lingering sense that something is being taken from the fans, so I really or the, and the sport perhaps. So I really hope that they make it. I will say something yeah. though. I want to. I want to. I want to posit an idea. 
Okay, I want to give you an idea I have for 155 if Volt goes up there. So I'm stating my preferences clearly. There are so many good reasons to make a third fight with Max that I hope that that is next, and I fully anticipate that it will be. Saying that, if he goes to 155, and think about this for a second, you're trying to you're trying to imagine somebody he could fight that's not the very very best, but it would be a good name, good test. What about Rafael dos Anjos at 155? Ooh. What do you think about that? I'm going to give you like my log- I'm going to give you my logic like for that. it. Okay, 10 to 15. Let me read you who's ranked: Faziv, Saryukian, Gamrot, Hooker, Riddell, Fajeda. Don't like any of those fights. Faziv, Saryukian, Gamrot are all kind of on a different track right now. Hooker and Riddell are teammates and coaches, quite literally. And Fajeda's at 15. That's a fine fight, but doesn't excite me. Then you have McGregor, unlikely. Gillespie, not a bad one. Not a bad one. Ferguson, he's got business to attend to. And then comes RDA. RDA used to fight, at, I think he's fought as low as 145. Obviously, this would be a 155 bout. We know about his history at 170. What do you, what do you think? I love that fight. I think it's. I think you're on the money. I think this fight makes the most sense out of uh, all the ones that you can make in the top 15 because RDA is also in a place where like, and he kind of said it after his fight, his, late, his latest win. He's like, I want the McGregor one. Maybe I want a big money fight, this and that. But he wasn't necessarily going out there. I need the next title shot. So look, if you want a big fight, if you want to add to your legacy, a legacy bout, why not take a champion at 145 pounds? Welcome him to your weight class. And look, uh, RDA, you know, I know he's been around for some time. He's uh, probably towards the end of his prime, if not maybe a little bit past it, but not too much for him not to be uh, one of the best fighters at 155. But um, I think that's a perfect test because he's got the the history. He's got the, the prestige. He's currently still very, very good, has headlined tons of fight nights and pay-per-views. So he can definitely do that again. And uh, he's not all the way up in the rankings in the top three or top five where, you know, it'll disrupt some things if uh, you were to able to, you know, put in a, the 45 champion up there. So I, I love it. I think it's a it's a great pick. Yeah, I love it for a lot of reasons. One, RDA is at that 170 campaign. I mean, you go, you watch his fight with Kamaru Usman and you're like, dude, this guy is completely a different size than him. You know, here he would have something of a size advantage. Again, they'd be the same yeah. weight, but you know what I'm saying? He'd have a size advantage. Two, RDA is good everywhere. Good takedown defense, good striking. Obviously, he's got a pretty good jiu-jitsu, not a huge submission threat in the way that Ortega was, but you know, a legitimate uh, uh, good black belt. Um, there's just a lot of – and he's physical as well, a physical fighter, yeah. physical striker. There's a lot of reasons why I, if, they, if, if, he, if and when he goes to 155, um, that, that will be a decent yeah. choice for him. Getting back to getting back though to Max and just real quick, Luke, if I can ask, sorry to interrupt you, Please. but one thing also that would be important for that bout, I think one of the things about Volkanovski going up to 155 is that at 145 he's not that big, he's not one of the bigger guys. So at 155, probably a lot of people are wondering, you know, if his ceiling is going to be too short because of the size. And look, RDA is a physical guy, as you mentioned can wrestle so he's not a guy that will stay away from the grappling so if we're going to answer questions about what he can do with some of the bigger guys what happens when he locks horns with some of those 55ers i think rda would 100 percent answer those questions yeah, that's right he's a great he's a great measuring stick so to speak yeah. to see exactly what volkanovsky can really offer in this weight class great point getting back to uh, max and alex let, let me uh, uh pitch you another thing that sort of occurred to me if it's wrong by all means please tell me i'm going to ask you this question i want to present it this way my question is, if they make another Alex and Max fight, given what they did the first two times, A, who would you favor to win? And B, are there any shades of Canelo Triple G with this? Is this MMA's Canelo Triple G? Not the same thing in a lot of different ways. 
Uh, but you have two fights, both times, one guy won, both times there was at least some degree of controversy. They might make a third one, it's possible, and if they do, the guy who has lost the first two, who was trying to sort of right the ship for the third one, may have been in, in, in Triple G's case, he got a little bit older and a little bit slower and you know, a little bit of the game has worn him down. Max is certainly not elderly, but has been in a lot of tough fights, has been in a lot of grinding wars, the Poirier one, the Yair one, but plenty more than that. Is there something to be saying that like, would you, yes, you could look at the first two results from the Max-Alex fights, but this, is, this third one's different given now they're both in a pretty different place in their career in terms of the accumulation and damage in age. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I think the biggest one is that in that fight, in the in those two fights that we saw with Triple G and Canelo, we kind of didn't really get an answer on who the best fighter is, right? I mean, both fighters had their moments. They were super competitive fights. And depending on who you ask, Triple G probably should have won both or Canelo, depending on who you ask. And that's very much the case with Volkanovski and, and Holloway. Some people saw Holloway win both fights, especially the second one. I think that's probably the, the closest one. Um, but I, I would say it's it, the big difference there is that I feel like there's not much doubt on Canelo. Obviously, he's gone on to do amazing things and he's become the GOAT right now, you know, the, the best. I don't necessarily think that that's uh, the case for Volkanovski. I think Canelo has more of the fans on his side. Whereas uh, in this uh, scenario with Holloway and Volkanovski, I feel like most of the fans or, or a grand majority are obviously uh, behind Max Holloway. And I think Max Holloway has kind of shown a little bit of evolution, you know, in his striking, just looking extremely dominant against Calvin Cater and then using some wrestling to beat Jair Rodriguez. If it wasn't for wrestling, I don't know if he would have won that fight because Jair was definitely piecing him up. With Triple G, uh, he, he's had some good moments and we'll talk about his most recent fight here in, in, in the program, but um, I don't see that evolution. If anything, we've seen a bit of a decline with Triple G, whereas Max Holloway has kind of kept this dream alive, this this two series, despite being 0-2, just because his two previous fights have been so great. Yeah, I don't. I want to be clear. I don't, I'm not saying that Max is shopworn. I think Max is still very good and capable of yeah. beating Volkanovski. But that bill is going to come due for all the damage he's taken. It's going to come he's, due. Bro, I, he's I, Hawaiian. I know. You, know, you never know, man. It might take a few years. He, you know. Fair enough. It, it it will it could be who knows when it will really begin to onset but that yeah, your fight was surprisingly tough it looked like yeah i don't think he expected that i don't think he expected to wrestle as much as he did um i think jair really brought it and really turned up his game and i think you know in, in no disrespect to holloway but uh coming off that cater fight he was you know self-proclaimed the best boxer in the division Dude, you had a wrestler to beat Jaid, and again, I don't, I don't fault him for it. I mean, it's mixed martial arts. He got the win. He was a hundred percent the better fighter at the end of the day. But uh, you know, you might want to rethink that, especially in in a third fight with Volkanovski, because I think Volkanovski's striking is is very unappreciated because it's hard to appreciate. Uh, it, it's so it's so technical, and and there's so many things that maybe the untrained eye doesn't catch that uh, it, it goes underappreciated. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, he's not like Mayweather in the sense that Mayweather did some things that obviously got the public to dislike him, whether taunting an opponent or trouble with the law or whatever it may be. Volkanovski's so nice, dude. Like, I know. I know. I know. He's so... he. But the other part, too, is he's also beaten up everyone's favorite fighter, right? He beat Max. He beat Ortega. He beat Zombie. You know what? He beat Aldo, man. And and Aldo. Aldo. But here's my point. Volkanovski badly needs a villain in that division, and he doesn't yeah. realize it. He is. He's the Joker going through and taking out all of the, the DC Universe good guys, man. That's what he's done. At least that's what the public's perception of him. And so he's trying to flip that. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. 
Yeah, it's not easy. He's in a tough spot, but all, all he can do is just keep racking up victories. And, and at some point, the facts are going to be the facts. If he beats Max Holloway a third time, like what do you? What, what can you possibly say? What can you possibly say? Nothing. All right, let's go to topic number two. Oh, oh actually, one, 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 very quickly, very quickly before we go to topic two. For Korean Zombie, where does he go from here? Ooh, bro, I got one. I think, look, uh, I spoke to Korean Zombie at media day and I asked him, Straight up, do you think this is your last title shot? And he gave a, a pretty sober answer. He's like, yep, yeah, I'm 35. Um, I will continue fighting after this with or without the title. Uh, I'm not retiring anytime soon. I still have some fights in me, but this is 100% the last opportunity I get for the title. And I think he's right. I think this is, unfortunately for all the Korean Zombie fans out there, this is the last time we saw the Korean Zombie in a championship fight. It hurts, it, it, it hurts to say, but it's the truth. But that doesn't mean there aren't fun fights for him in the division. One fight that I would love to see, and both these guys are in basically the same spot of their career. They haven't fought before. The matchmakers can thank me for this later. Hmm. Edson Barbosa versus Korean Zombie. Oh, that's a great one. Wow, I hadn't Send even thought way. of that. UFC fight night. Uh, you know, get get that uh, early so back, back well at, so we can enjoy it. Oh, yeah, no, you're right, 145. Um, wow, you could do that. That's amazing. That's an amazing call. How, 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 would, you, how would that play out, you think? Oof, that's such a tough one because Edson Barbosa is a, a little bit chinny, right? Um, I think he, his damage Zombie might threshold. light him up with the boxing. Yeah, but like, I mean, those kicks, man, Edson Barbosa, plus Edson Barbosa moves very well. I think that could give Zombie some issues. He's very quick. Um, I think it'll be a fight where you see Edson Barbosa kind of taking the lead and then at some point getting cracked and then even things out. Uh, and then that'll be just a back and forth. I think that's what I expect. Hmm. I like that. That's a, a great fight. call. And, and, yeah. and the last thing I'll say on this is we move to point number two. The last thing I'll say is not every fighter gets to be champion. Very, very, very few of them do. It should broaden your perspective, and this should be a learning lesson to folks. You don't have to be a champion to have, A, a great career and do yeah. very memorable things and to get the fan base on your side. It's like it wasn't just that he was a popular attraction and is a popular attraction. He is still quite good having that twister on his record or whatever and, and, and being the first one and some of the, some of the fastest. He had the fastest knockout for a time. He still might with the one over Hominick. Like, dude, he's done yeah. amazing things. He never was champion. That's okay that he still had yeah. a great career and, and it's not done yet. He's a legend. He's a legend at 145. All right. Point number two. Let's talk about the co-main event. This is the much more. This is the most controversial, I think, probably of the three, uh, the big fights on the card. Aljamain Sterling retained his title with a split decision victory over Piotr Jan. Okay, so two questions to start this uh, conversation, Danny. One, how did you score the fight? And two, what does a win like this do for Sterling's career and reputation? So I actually scored it a, a draw. Um, I thought that Sterling took two rounds, but one of those rounds was a 10-8, obviously being the, the second one, which was the most dominant. And then I thought Jan took first and obviously the, the last two. Now, that's that's what I scored the fight um, after I, I, I watched it because when I was in the media room, I was doing some other things, so I couldn't 100% gauge uh, what was going on and pay full attention. But um, I saw it on Sunday after the fact with sort of a cool head. I think that second round is debatable, whether it's a 10-8 or 10-9. I think it's very close. It's borderline. It was certainly dominant. Um, I think it missed a little bit of damage in order to convince those guys that the people, for the people that scored it at 10-9. But certainly, it's right there. I mean, you can't say the round was anything but dominant for Aljamain Sterling. So I scored it a draw. 
Um, and I think it's huge for Aljamain Sterling because entering this fight, and, and I'll be honest, I was a doubter of Aljamain Sterling. Certainly, uh, I'll give him his credit, a very good fighter, a guy that got to fight for the title in the first place. For that in itself, you've got to be a, a solid fighter to be a top contender, especially at 135. 135 is just full of killers. Uh, but I thought Jan was sort of the was sort of the dominant force at 135 and we were going to see a long reign for him just from what I've seen. But clearly, um, if you take out just Aljamain Sterling, the persona, and you put another fighter in and just look at that per and have the same type of performance, dude, he was right there neck and neck with Jan and again, dominated him in two rounds. So um, I think this proves that he is very good. He's among the very best if anybody was ever doubting or, or just thought he got there by chance. Uh, certainly, you know, a close fight, I think, on any given night, maybe Jan would have been champion. But, um, but yeah, certainly Aljamain Sterling is, is one of the very best in, in the most competitive division in the UFC, in my opinion. All right. I'll tell you how I scored it. Let's see if we can find some place to agree or disagree. Clearly, rounds four and five for Jan, 10-9. Yep. Rounds two and three for Sterling, round three, 10-9. Round two. I'm going to argue it's 10-9. The reason why I'm going to argue it's 10-9 is because while he did have duration... To your point, I think it's over uh, just a shade under four minutes of control time, something like 3.53, something like that, of control time. That is a significant amount of control time. That control alone should win you the round from the back. But to get a 10.8, he would have to marry that with some things that either cut a guy open with a, from heavy ground to bound, close submission attempts, or just a lot of punching volume that really mattered. And there wasn't that. He had a body triangle on, which glues you to the guy. I mean, the, the, the benefit of the body triangle is that it closes down the movement of the guy who's locked in. The bad part is it also locks you to him, so it, it limits your mobility to do the things you might otherwise do if you didn't have that same form of control. So you have to, you have to balance it out. There was not enough damage there for me to give that a 10-8. I, I am the first person to recognize that the, the taking of the back must be respected because it's, the, it's really the only position where you have complete asymmetry with your opponent. But at the same time, if you just, I'm not saying he just held it. He went for submissions. But you can't just go for submissions. They got to be close. None of them were really close, yeah. and there wasn't a damage. Fair or unfair? I think that's fair. And again, I think that's a round that's borderline 10-8, 10-9. I mean, if, whoever, if you scored a 10-9, I don't have a big issue with that. But what I would say to counter that was, one, the, the control time was just ridiculous. Uh, two, I mean, back mount and just regular mount are the two dominant, the most dominant positions you can get on somebody on the ground. I mean, it wasn't like he was inside of his guard or half guard and then he kept recovering and then there was a struggle there, but he did have that control time. No, dude, he was glued to his back, as you mentioned, and had it, the most dominant position you can get in grappling for almost four minutes of the five-minute round. And he did land some ground and pound. It wasn't, you know, devastating. It wasn't sort of Hamza versus Durinho or anything like that where he, like, you know, cut Durinho open in the first round on, on the forehead. But uh, there was some work there. So, again, I, I don't... I don't I can't debate, you know, it's it's a tough sell, you know, but um, but yeah, I, I, I'm okay with a 10-9 scoring for that round, but I, I think it was just enough for a 10-8. Okay, so then let's let's just say f none of the judges gave it a 10-8. So really, to me, what the debate comes down to, right or wrong, they just didn't. So you got two and three for Sterling, four and five for Jan. It takes us to round one. In real time, I, I wasn't quite watching it with like a judging eye. I was I was looking to see what they were doing, you know. So when the round was over, I genuinely did not know who won it. And it was also hard. Dude, it was hard to score. Like it wasn't an easy round to rounds two and three are easy to judge. Rounds four and five are, are pretty easy to judge. Not a whole lot to it. But round one was hard. It was hard to get right. And two of the judges gave it to Sterling, one round gave it to Jan. 
So I went back and I watched it, Danny. Here's what I saw. And I, I, I retweeted Kaposa Grabaka Hitman on this one. He basically says he watched basically the first half of the first round, but two minutes and 20 seconds or so. That, that dude, Jan just kind of walks him down, but doesn't throw anything. And Sterling didn't exactly land like, you know, the biggest bomb ever, but he did land some body kicks, some pretty good ones. He landed some leg kicks, some push kicks along the way. Like he, he did a little bit there that it counted. It was noticeable. If even if Jan upticked it towards the end of the first, he kind of just gave away the front half of it, and two judges gave it to, to him for that. Yeah, I don't. That, that's close, and that sucks. But that doesn't strike me as wholly unfair at all. Yeah, it was an extremely difficult round to score. I just thought, like, look, the damage is equal here. Neither fighter scoring. And then if you just keep going down the criteria, Yang was pushing the action, had control sort of of the octagon. Um, and I think towards the end, I think what did it for me was that Yang landed a pretty big left, if I'm not mistaken, um, off a clinch. And then the bell rung. And that was probably the most significant shot of the fight, in my opinion, or the round, my bad. So that's why I gave it a 10-9 to, to Yang. Okay, fair enough. I, again, I'm not here to tell. Close, I'm not here man, to yeah. say. Yeah, I'm not here at all to say that a round one score for Jan is somehow inappropriate. I don't think it's inappropriate. If people saw it that way, I, I again, it was tough to score. I get it. I guess my point is that people they want this fraudulent sense that they have put on top of Aljamain from the first fight. They want that to still be real, and it's just not real anymore. Like, even if you scored it for Jan, there's a very legitimate claim that Sterling deserves the, the the scoring in that first round as well. And because it was so close and one gave it to Jan and two gave it to Sterling, to me, that's just the judging process playing out as normal without a yeah. ton of evidence of incompetence or something else. I just don't see that as incompetent judging. No, no, no. I, I think... Um... If you just look at the fight, I mean, it was so close that it could merit, you know, to give it to either guy as far as the, the first round and score. And I think this should be a big lesson for MMA fighters. In boxing, you can kind of take off rounds because there's so many. So you can kind of gauge and do the math and, and make sure you pick up rounds here and there if, if the fight's getting close. But in MMA, dude, there's only five. Taking one round off or just trying to gauge somebody, um, you might be able to do it for a few minutes. But make sure at least in one minute you're, you're doing uh stuff that's significant because if you take one round off uh, that could cost you the fight you know so yeah i mean again it's a very close fight i don't think the hate that is going towards Algerman sterling's way i don't think it's 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 right because again it's a very very close fight in order to be a very close fight you know both parties need to be uh evenly matched you know at least in terms of skill so how are you going to hate on a guy that's just as good as uh peter Jan? so or you know maybe a little less or a little better depending on where you see him but certainly in the same level. You can't hate on that guy. He's he's a worthy champion. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that for a second. I mean, listen, I got it wrong on Sterling, too. I'll raise my hand. I got it wrong on Aljamain Sterling. Knew he was good. Knew he would de deserve to be taken seriously, but thought that, like you, that Jan was sort of the talent of this division. And wh why did I make that claim? One, Jan's overall body of work against Aldo, against Sanhagen, and against Sterling in their first fight. Against Sterling in their first yeah. fight, I thought Aljo won the first. Maybe you could say he fought okay in the second, but to me, by the time the third round started, that was Jan's fight to lose. I talk about it all the time. Jan was seven of seven of takedowns on the first fight. He went zero for zero here. In the first fight, Sterling went one for 17 on takedowns. Now, he only went two for 22 on this one, but getting the back exposure and then getting the back changed the whole equation. 
Didn't see that happening based on what had happened the first time. But Sterling went back to the lab. He did get healthy. He had a clearly had a great camp. And dude, Aljamain Sterling is good. He's excellent. He is he is he has a claim as the very best bantamweight on this on this earth. He simply yeah. does. And that guy, and I want to ask this to you, Danny. That guy endured thirteen months of straight up harassment and bullying. I remember what fight was I at the last UFC fight. I think it was like the Connor fight in July or something against Poirier. And I remember they had showed like it was bo- it was before the the weigh-in started and they're running ads or whatever B-roll or on the whatever on the screens. And they ran an ad for like fighter uh you know meet and greets out in town and they had one for Sterling who wasn't even in the arena and he was getting booed by the fans. I mean it was you couldn't go anywhere. And I understand that people felt disappointed with the results of the first fight and you know who knows how hurt Sterling was. But they just decided at that point it was going to be a 13-month online harassment campaign that spilled over into real life. And boy, did he shove it up all their asses. Yeah, for sure. I would say that Sterling, um, not to sort of defend the fans, but he did bring it onto himself a little bit. You know, he's kind of taking this uh, road of this Cejudo type antics. And, uh, you know, they're very cheesy. A lot of people don't like them. So I kind of get it. He's, He's playing up the heel. Role. And look, uh, you got to get fans to care about you or hate you either or. But just as long as they feel strongly about you, you know, they, they're going to pay for the pay-per-view. They're going to watch your fight. So he's kind of taking um, a page out of Henry Cejudo's book. So, you know, the the hate, yeah, it's I don't think it's it's warranted. Uh, but again, I feel like at this point in time, Aljamain Sterling has accepted it. He's like, it is what it is. I just gonna, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to roll with it and try to maximize it. Aside from the first fight... I think the other thing, too, that like, because Aljamain Sterling, did you see on Twitter, he put out that like excuse card for all the people who said Aljamain Sterling was going to lose and you could fill it out and had all the reasons. And one of them was I only looked at advanced analytics. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, if you only look at advanced analytics, that that won't tell you a whole lot. I think the other part, too, was we had not seen Jan made. This was the first time we saw Jan really vulnerable. I mean, we've seen yeah. him lose a round. We've seen him take big shots. We've seen him in, you know, difficult moments. But those two rounds, rounds two and three, we already saw Aljamain Sterling lose fights. We saw him get knocked out by uh, Marlon Moraes. Like we saw, we saw him experience some lows. We had never seen that from Jan. Sterling is the first to produce that, an achievement in itself, but I think also might explain why folks had a greater sense of his vulnerability. It had just been more on display up to this point. Yeah, uh, I don't think Jan had been dominated the way he was dominated in, in those surrounds ever. And I think that was a big wake-up call for a lot of people. And also, um, not only talking about Jan's deficiencies, but what about Aljamain's back take? It might be the best in the UFC and MMA. I mean, that control that he has and just the ability to go from a takedown into like a scramble and then jump on the back, that's next-level stuff. And and it's funny because he's not Brazilian, so you'd kind of want to dis- not discount him, but like you, want, you would want to give credit to Durinho Burns and other guys, but... Um, I haven't seen anybody jump to the back and be as quick, as explosive in securing the back as, as Aljamain Sterling. I haven't seen anybody in the UFC sort of match him on that. Even Damian Maia, he was more of a methodical guy that would work his way to the back. Aljamain Sterling goes from zero to 60. So um, I think if you get a really, really good grappler and, and can put, uh, not not even wrestle, but just do jujitsu with Jan, I think uh, there's some, some weaknesses there. So I think definitely Aljamain Sterling exposed him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, credit to Jan for surviving. I mean, all that yeah, hand fighting from the back—that's not easy, you know. So I know what you're saying, but like, 
Okay, and there was also that time, I think it was like the fourth or the fifth, where Sterling tried to take the back, but he was too high, and Jan kind of yeah. you know, inched his way out. But as a general rule, you can ask Corey Sandhagen, you can ask Jan, in general, not always, but in general, that dude gets your back. If Sterling gets your back, you're either going to go out from a tap, or uh, you're going to get put out, or the clock is going to save you. Because otherwise, yeah. he ain't getting off. It, yeah, he, he, I agree with you. It, it's not like... I don't know how dangerous he is and because of Jan's hand fighting. Jan's hand fighting is obviously good, but you know, but his control from there, his ability to maintain position over time, it is it is remarkable. Let's talk about Jan before we move on to Hamzat. What would you like to see as a rebound fight from Jan? He could fight Aldo, but he already did. He already fought Sandhagen, who's still behind him. Where does he go from here? I'd like to see Jan fight Mirab Davalashvili. I mean, I, I was there throughout fight week. Jan has said... It's on site with Aljamain Sterling's team. I mean, if I come across them, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a fight. And obviously uh, that didn't sit well with Aljamain Sterling's team. And, and Marab and, and Ali Quinta have something to say about that. And look, Marab is ranked number six right now. He's coming off a, a few good wins. And uh, he's ready for that step up. I mean, he's right outside of the top five. He needs a guy that's certainly uh, a former champion or, or has sort of, uh, a bit of status and standing and prestige in the division. And I think there's a built-in rivalry right there. He said it's on side. Well, why don't we make that fight? I think it's a good fight stylistically. I think if Jan wants to prove that he's the very best bantamweight, I think he has some um, answers to give as far as the some qu- some questions to answer as far as the ground game and i think Marab obviously being a stud grappler i think you know that would be a, a solid test for him and, and a big step up for Marab. i think that's the fight that i want to see next i don't want to yeah. see aldo versus jan to be honest I'd, I'd rather see aldo versus cruz or something like that yeah i agree with that and also you know jan is very much a technician and not yeah. not that Marab is not but Marab is very much like the most incredible motor i've ever seen so it'd be like Ridiculous, horsepower yeah. versus technique. Not, that's unfair, but there's a little bit of that happening. I, I like that call. I think it's a great call. Either guy, a yeah. lot to prove with that one. All right. Tons. Speaking, speaking of a lot to prove, let's go to point number three. Uh, this one was as bananas as advertised. or has, I, I don't know what people thought, but that this is one of the better versions of what could have happened here. Okay. Hamzat Chemayev defeats Gilbert Burns via unanimous decision in what can only be described as an insane fight of the year early contender B or not BC sorry Danny just out of habit Danny Segura there's a lot to get to here let me start the conversation this way is the story of the fight that Hamzat impressed or is the story of the fight that Hamzat was disappointing there's only one story here there's only one story here and that is that Hamza Shimaev impressed for those people that are disappointed in Hamza Shimaev they're living in a fantasy world period because Hamza Shimaev, uh, obviously there was a lot of trash talk going on and there was a lot of promises that he made about this bout that he was going to run through Durinho and just put him away and dominate him and, and just put him away in, in the first round. I'm going to tell you guys something right now. There's not a single welterweight on the planet living today that can do that to Durinho. It's just not possible. Maybe get a lucky punch, catch him, but as far as dominating him, completely outclassing him and then stopping him, there's not a single man that can do that today. The champion, Kamar Usman, who's arguably the GOAT, tried. And he even had to fight back from hell. So this idea that Hamza Shimaev was going to go in there and just absolutely run through Durinho Burns, it's obviously a possibility, but honestly not a, a very realistic one. The realistic thing is that this was going to be a tough-ass fight because that's what you're in for whenever you cross uh, paths with Durinho. Now, whether Hamza Shimaev was going to get his hand raised or not at the end of that, that was the real question, and he did. 
So uh, we're talking about a 27-year-old guy that entered a fight with the number two guy in the world with just 10 fights on his record, having made his professional debut in 2018. That's not that long ago, guys. And he went in there, gave him hell, almost stopped him a, a couple of times, got his hand raised. Dude, what else can you ask for, for, for a prospect? I mean, what else? Uh, not even a prospect anymore. We, the question was, is Hamza Shimaev one of the best in the world? We got our answer. He definitely is. And in a fight with Kamaru Usman, maybe Usman is, is favored. But the question of whether or not Hamza could beat Usman, I mean, there's definitely a possibility there. No doubt about it. Hamza Shimaev is one of the best fighters in the world. And if anything, this this performance just makes you dream. Just makes, just goes, you know, just uh, you're able to imagine. Just makes your imagination go go wild. Because at 27 years old, only, what, four years into your professional career, 10 fights in, and you're already beating the number two guy in the world? Give him six months. He's going to evolve so much. I mean, dude, this guy's going to be champion at some point. No doubt. He is the future of this division. Is it going to be the immediate future? We'll find out. But he's definitely the future, and he will hold gold at some point. No doubt. What was the what was the vibe where you were when the fight was going on, especially, especially after the second? I think uh, the vibe in the media room, everybody was kind of just like talking amongst each other. I mean, worked completely stopped. Uh, all the laptops were, you know, on the tables. And uh, it was the fight was very much up in the air. And I think that was the round where it's like, all right, let's see where Hamzat is, is made of. He clearly had uh, the better round uh, in the first round. He did well, had some troubles, but overall was pretty dominant. But in the second round, he really got tested, got cracked very, very hard. And now you're stepping in the third round against a, a monster like Durinho Burns that had a lot of momentum going in. So it's like, all right, let's see what you're made of. And clearly, there were so many questions answered by Hamza Shimaev. I mean, there was a lot of mystery going into the fight just because the UFC skipped a few steps in the matchmaking process. Usually Hamza should have been fighting a number eight, number seven, something like that, not number two. So there was a lot of unanswered questions and we got the answers to that. Dude's got a chin. Dude can go three rounds. I mean, that was high paced of three rounds. He can even go five rounds. We might've gotten that answer as well. Uh, he can get hurt and have good survival instincts, still make good choices. He's got power all throughout the 15 minutes, can wrestle his ass off. His takedown defense, my God, is something yes. ridiculous. Durinho Burns was deep on a gable grip, even on a squatting position, the strongest position you can be in. Try to lift him up and couldn't. There was a one point where he shot at him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I've, I've been tr I was so surprised when folks were like, oh, he disappointed me. I'm like... What exactly were you ex what were you expecting him to do to go in there and you know uh, leap tall buildings in a single bound and shoot lasers from his eyes? Yeah, I guess that would be disappointing if he didn't shoot lasers from his eyes. Yes, that's a what you got was a letdown, folks. Four years uh, total, fifth UFC fight, and he to Danny's point, I think that's great. Who's going to go in there and just dump truck Gilbert Burns? Probably nobody, not including uh, Hamzat Shemaev. But if you can get a win over a guy that good this early holy crap you're doing something unbelievably special i think what the problem here is danny is that on both sides there's people coming in with impressions and that's i think this is why it made the odds what it was i slept on this i was doing i was doing a lot of looking online last night to see what people were saying about gilbert burns because your video with him blew up uh, pre-fight and ours did uh, our interview did pretty well but i noticed that people were still they were still watching and even after the fight and I was looking at what some of the comments were there and on my mentions and everywhere else. So this is anecdotal. It's not a whole lot. Even though Gilbert lost to Kamaru and then rebounded against Wonderboy, a lot of people discount the Wonderboy win as very boring, 
safe, uninspiring, and therefore to some doesn't tell you that this guy is the kind of dog that could meet a guy like Hamzat in the middle. I think that's why a lot of folks thought he was going to get dump trucked, even though a lot of us were shouting from the rooftops, like, I don't know, man, this dude's pretty good. And you saw him train, we saw him train. He was crossing every T, dotting every I. I think that Wonder Boy performance was clouding people's judgment a little bit. And on the other side, Danny, if you and I watch this, we, 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 we talked about this before the fight. We were like, I don't know, man, Burns might have something for him, but we, did, we, just, we just didn't know. Let's just sort of see what happens here. I think a lot of folks came in, not just with a, a, a artificially reduced impression of Gilbert, but they were thinking that Hamzat was ready to beat Kamaru tomorrow. That, I, it was just way too much expected of him. So even though a guy does something amazing, he can't know. I don't know if anybody could do what they're talking about. And so therefore, it feels like a letdown in that sense. Yeah, this is to me the part of the story that needs to get told a little bit more. And someone else made this point. I'll repeat it here. If to to do what Hamzat did, you have to be incredibly special. Number one. Okay. Now he managed to get the win, even though some of his weaknesses were made to be. You saw them for the first time. I'm going to go back to the Sterling comparison. By the way, you saw some of his weaknesses earlier on. That did not determine how this fight on Saturday ultimately went, right? It's it. We should not lose sight of the uh, deficiencies, but at you know when you're in your early, uh, or I should say mid to late twenties, still as a fighter, and you're just now having them exposed. By the way, that that tells you a lot. But more to the point, it just sort of says they're not career defining. And in fact, you can look at a situation where a guy still won Izzy versus Gastelum, and then the question becomes this: What are they going to take from this experience? Are they going to take from this experience? the important parts, right? Are they going to learn the lessons of, mm, I should have maybe done X, I should have done Y. They were, he wasn't listening to his coach at all, and he still managed to beat Gilbert Burns. The point I'm trying to make is, it's not that we didn't see vulnerabilities, of course. They were always there. People just wanted to pretend that they didn't exist because they wanted him to be some mythical figure who was a superhero because they've been watching too much Avengers movies. Okay, well, welcome back to Earth. These are prize fighters. these are humans. It doesn't work that way. However, what is very possible is you take this existing performance, Danny, and if he's like Izzy against Gastelum, he's going to learn from those mistakes and be significantly better the next time out, especially given his relative youth. Is that not a fair interpretation? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Hamza learned a lot about himself here. And again, I would have to say something catastrophic would have to happen along his development process uh, for him not to achieve a potential of being UFC champion. I mean, this is everything that he's shown. He's a guy that, you know, works extremely hard. I mean, almost too hard. Like his lifestyle is just fighting. Like you even see him in his time off, like rest, trying to wrestle there until there until like, yo, chill, like. We're not in the, you know, we're not in the training room right now, but he's just on fight mode on on martial arts mode 24-7. So I think you can expect evolution from that guy. I think, you know, the, the whole smash persona and I'm going to do this and I'm going to run through everybody, that, that's a bit of persona. I think that deep down inside, he is a guy that's very coachable. He is a very humble guy when, when taking advice, when learning lessons. So I, I do expect him to evolve from this fight. I mean, there's so many good takeaways, so many things that he learned about himself, not only for us, the analysts, the fans, but like just himself. Like he he took really hard shots from probably one of the hardest punchers in the division. He can now have full confidence that he has an amazing chin. He can now have full confidence that he can be in a high-paced fight 
grueling fight with a lot of damage and still perform throughout 15 minutes. I mean, there's just so much to learn. Um, I just, you just can't help but but feel inspired and and let your imagination run wild when it comes to the future of Hamzat. I mean, if you're disappointed, it's just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, you're a clown is what Danny is trying to be nice about. You're a clown yeah, uh, is what I would say. But here's, here's the thing, though. I, I said this on uh, a broadcast I did. That punch that Dorino landed on him in the second round, is that the hardest punch Dorino's ever landed? Serious question. I know he's knocked guys out before, so maybe you could say that because it knocked him out. But I'm, I'm, you know, that wasn't Hamza Shemaev. He was landing previous punches on. Dude, Dorino, I mean, he put yeah. everything or nearly everything into that, and it landed clean as a whistle. For Hamza to withstand that alone is remarkable. Yeah, um, it's funny. Now that you mention it and, and I'm thinking about it, yeah, Durinho's sort of knockouts and finishes, they've sort of graced their opponents. I, I do think that this is the first time where, you know, he connected, something landed flush. And and I want to shout out Jorge Rubio. He's uh, fairly an unknown figure, uh, one of uh, a Cuban boxing trainer here in South Florida that has trained the likes of uh, Teofimo Lopez, and, and he does a lot of work with MMA guys and BKFC as well. And, uh, yeah, dude, he's extensively training with Durinho Burns. His boxing was clearly on point in this one. And, uh, and yeah, I think um, – I know a little bit off topic, but I think this races Durinho's Burns stock a ton as well. I mean, who's not excited to see Durinho Burns get back in there? Uh, in terms of what Hamza did really well, you highlighted the takedown defense. And there, there was that one takedown where Gilbert – I think it was the one you mentioned – had him dead to rights in the third – and like a panther, he just kind of lipped out of it and even maintained risk control. It was just ridiculous. So the takedown defense was on lead. I thought some of the boxing was good, too. That jab was from his power hand. He's normally orthodox. He switched to southpaw. Gilbert didn't see it coming. It cracked him. He had success from that stance the entire time. There were some good boxing pivots. There were some good leg kicks. There was some decent defense, although the defense to me, Danny, and this is true for a lot of good fighters who are still a little bit newer, right? The offense tends to get better quicker than the defense. You mentioned him being coachable. Did you not... So two questions. One, what did you like from him aside from the takedown defense? And two, was it not true that after the fight that Hamzat seemed to recognize that like listening to his coaches was important, that, hello, guys at the very top actually are a lot tougher than you think, and that he seemed to be realize that like a different approach is going to be necessary from here on out? Yeah, I, I think uh, he took a lot of lessons. I think uh, one of the the biggest things that apart from his takedown defense um, was just the, the survival instinct and just, you know, the attitude when the going gets tough, you've seen it, you know, once adversity hits, some guys get cracked, you know, you don't feel well, your head is, you know, about to explode. You have a huge headache, you know, you're exhausted. Um, You know, fighters start acting differently and Hamza Shimaev kept that sort of animal inside of him, that dog inside of him that makes him who he is alive the entire time that never went away. Uh, so he definitely overcame adversity. So I think that's a that's a, a thing that I liked a lot. Um, one thing apart from um, that you mentioned the striking defense, I, I do think his because of his wrestling style, because he's so big and so tall, he's always going to be a little bit susceptible. He's not your Volkanovski, you know, smaller, slim, agile guy who's going to sort of bob and weave and, and use all this movement to get out of uh, strikes. But I do think there's a lot of work to be done. I don't think there was much head movement from Hamsad, but uh, to his credit, man, his chin's brand new uh gilbert burns just you know just sort of uh inaugurated him into sort of taking damage so i mean he still has so much miles left in 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 his uh tank because uh again he hasn't taken much damage and uh so far he's got an amazing chin and i don't see that going anytime soon 
So we're going to see if he, how coachable he is. This is a real transition point for him, potentially. It is in terms of his status, certainly, but in terms of where he can go. I will say I do have one concern. My one concern is once you get to this level, sometimes it can be hard to really work on your development. That's true getting to the UFC. That's true getting into the top 10 and top 5. You have to be make sure that like not just that you have a ready skill set, but that your process doesn't get interfered with. Um, I am a little bit concerned that getting to this point as quick as he has could delay or derail him. Or, or, or well, I don't know. It, it may not do anything. One of the things that could happen is that he doesn't take the proper lessons or there's not enough time because they throw him to the wolves and something else goes on and and therefore he can't get the most out of himself because he is now fast-tracked in a way where if he had gone a little bit slower, he could have worked on that more nimbly. Something like a Shavkat Rachmanov. Shavkat Rachmanov has taken a much slower approach. I think that's partly contractual. I don't, I don't know what else. To, I, I, I'm, you know, There could be a few factors in there, not just about what kind of competition he feels like he's ready for is the point I'm trying to make. But even with that, he is taking a bit of a slower approach, and I think his ascension at or near the top of the division is, I won't say inevitable, but perhaps likely or certain, certainly something to watch. I will say that concerns me a little bit as we go forward. Now, Danny's frozen. Do we got what's? Do we have? Uh, can Gaff? Can Gaff? Can the audience hear you? We we had Corey set up on Friday for that. Can the audience hear you? No, Danny's frozen. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, with that, I was going to ask where we go here with Gilbert, but I don't know what the answer would be uh, unless we look at the rankings here very quickly. Gilbert was, of course, sitting... Where was he sitting? He was sitting at 2. This is going to bump him back. I don't think where Hamza was sitting, which was at 11. But it might bump him probably still inside the top 5 because you've got Leon behind him, Vicente, and Bilal. I was thinking that Gilbert could potentially fight the loser of that because uh, Luque and Bilal, and Bilal Muhammad are sitting respectively at 4 and 5. So it would still be within that space, and that's a very competitive fight. The only sort of downside there is Vicente and, and Gilbert may not want to fight one another. So it kind of trips you up there a little bit about which way to go. We're going to work on getting Danny back. I mean, it's never going to be easy, folks. Technology is your friend. Technology is your foe. We, we will march on. All right. Let's move on a little bit if we can. Danny will pick up with us when, we get, when, when he joins us again. Let's talk about topic number four. Topic number four. Let's switch gears here a little bit. There will be some more UFC analysis on extra credit. But let's talk about Triple G here just a little bit. So over the weekend, Triple G defeated Ryota Murata in the ninth round to unify the IBF and w- WBA middleweight titles. 40 years old, still unifying titles. Pretty impressive. So the question here is, operative, operatively, tri- it's sort of a similar-ish question about Hamzat, given that Hamzat's much, totally different space in his career, but I'm gonna, you'll see. The question for Triple G is, did he prove enough to make any of you think that he has a chance with Canelo the third time around? Given what happened in the first, given what happened in the second, setting it up. I'll say this for the fight. If you missed it, it was a tale of, well, there was a real turning point moment, uh, I think in the fourth or the fifth, where Triple G drills Murata with a right hand, knocks his mouthpiece out, and Murata was really never the same after that. But before that, especially in like that second and third rounds, dude, Triple G was getting eaten alive to the body. Murata had a decent game plan to start and looked to be as in it as he could be. He was pressing Triple G back. He was closing the space down. He was staying active. 
And as I mentioned, he was kind of getting Triple G to hunch over, hunch over, hunch over and lean out with his elbows. And then he was digging around to the body and do Triple G was backing up. He, he was visibly covering up. You could tell taking long breaths when he could and then trying to strain to hold himself. I mean, he was having a ton of problems with it, but he landed a devastating right hand about midway through the, what ended up being the total fight. So about nine rounds or so, eight, eight rounds and some change. And from there, the fight was completely different. He was marching Murata down. He was using that corkscrew punch that he used on Maidana to come over the top. But we got Danny back here. We'll bring Danny in just a sec. Danny, we're talking about Triple G here and how the fight turned about halfway through and he came down on him. And from that point, he looked like the Triple G of old. So he, he went to another fighter's backyard after a long layoff and dealt with adversity early to show like vintage Triple G dot, dot, dot in the end. So the question then goes back to you, Danny, about this. Did he show you enough to make you think he has a shot against Canelo in the trilogy? Danny, hang on. Your your mic your mic fell out again. They're gonna they're gonna take care of you. So hang on. We'll we'll get Danny back here in just a second. We'll take over. But I certainly well, I I gotta tell you, I'm actually not as high on this as Danny is, uh, candidly. Is what Triple G did impressive? No question. Is what he did resilient? No question. I do not wish to undermine or in any way suggest that what he showed against Murata on Saturday was um, admirable. It absolutely was, especially that, you know, dude, I mean, Murata took it to him and he had to kind of, Triple G did, wrestle the fight back, so to speak, metaphorically speaking anyway. He had to kind of wrestle it back. And then from there, be, sort of put it on him. Dude, Murata was not a wallflower in this contest at all. However, that said, even if in the end you saw something approximating vintage Triple G with after he lands the right hand and he's corkscrew punching him and he's backing him up and he's eating him alive and the whole thing. Yes, in the end, you got a, a, certainly a, a taste of that. But like, and Murata's no pushover. But I, you know, if you couldn't get that done against Canelo however many years ago at this point, the first time, and granted, the judging was not great there. It wasn't, I didn't agree with it either. And then the second time, now with the age kind of catching up with him, I don't want to say he looked elderly or infirm, but he didn't look as good as he did even in the second Canelo fight versus even the first. Canelo has only looked, I mean, Canelo's in his absolute prime at the moment. He is in the center of the bullseye on the target. It's not that I don't believe that Triple G couldn't make it con competitive in spots or wouldn't necessarily deserve to be there. It's just that, dude, I don't, I don't know what you could have seen from that to make you think like, okay, this is still a very competitive fight. For, by, by contrast, Holloway took a bit of a, a rough fight against Yair, and you know I, I think that was much tougher than expected. But he's still young enough where I'm like, okay, the distance between what he is now and then the first fight, it is some damage. It is worth taking seriously. But I don't know that that's like altering my perception of what's possible. At 40, even as good as he looked in the end, the early part of this and sort of the general context, it just does not inspire confidence to me about what is possible. And also, by the way, we should note the trilogy with Canelo is not inevitable if in any way Canelo loses to uh, Bivol. If he loses to Bivol at 175, then this, this whole thing has, is out the window. All right, I really don't know where Danny's at, and I don't want to belabor the boxing topic, so let's just move here along if we can. Point number five, we'll talk about quickly the other parts of the weekend 
in boxing. All right, so we start with Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora. This was a ridiculous fight of the year candidate on Showtime. Again, that same division, 154, um, oh, sorry, 154 pounds. The winner here you knew was looking for the winner of the rematch just in five weeks from now with Charlo and Castaño. And it delivered in all the action. 154 pounds, and Sebastian Fundora is basically with shoes on, six foot six. And Erickson Lubin, I think, is five nine or so. A dramatic difference in frame. It looked like Bruce Lee in, what was it, Game of Death or whatever the name of that one was where he had to fight Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the movies. I mean, it resembled that. It was the guy, was, they, they didn't even look to be even remotely in the same weight class, and yet they were. And... Lubin, who I thought was going to get a ninth round stoppage, not be the victim of one, I thought was the slicker boxer. And in moments, he kind of, for a lot of moments, actually, he was the slicker boxer of the two. He was going to the body. He was using the body, then going upstairs. And early on, he was kind of sticking and moving. But the thing that, and by the way, when the fight was stopped at the end of the ninth, the corner of Lubin tossing it because Lubin's face, I don't know if we have any photos of it, his face looked terrible, terrible. I don't know what exactly was happening in terms of any breaks underneath in terms of his face. I, I don't know. He had a giant hematoma between the eyes. Here we go. Getting Danny back here. He had a giant hematoma between the eyes, and it looked like, I don't know, he had been stung by a some kind of allergic insect or or so it was it was weird it was a bad swelling and his corner kind of stopped it even though he had dropped fundora in the ninth this is the point i wanted to make dude fundora was raining on him constantly touching constantly getting in his face and basically the biggest issue for lubin was not that he couldn't land big punches and drop him in the seventh he could not get fundora off of him look at how much damage takes place by fundora getting close pressing the action pressing into the clinch, even though he's the taller guy, and that ended up making the difference. Do we have Danny back now? We got him back? Yeah, I'm um, here. Can you hear me? Here we are. Hi, Danny. Fundora What's and up? Lubin, your impressions. Dude, I'm so excited to talk about this fight. I'm actually a Sebastian Fundora fan. Um, the first time that I saw him fight was in the undercard for uh, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 2, I believe. Uh, he fought a guy that was like uh, 5'7", and I remember just Teddy Atlas, in many ways, just kind of hammering him like, yo, why is this guy fighting in the pocket? Why is this guy fighting at close range? Look at his attributes. He should be fighting using the jab and using the distance. But Fundora is this weird guy that's so big for the weight class, 6'6", at 154. And uh, yet he's able to fight at every single distance, even despite his you know big and lanky frame. I mean, in the pocket, he's very good at medium distance, he's really good. If he wants to, you know, fight at long range, he can also do that. Uh, I think Sebastian Fundora has uh, has tons of potential. I, I really like that kid. And you you don't have any issue with the stoppage, right, dude? Lubin's face. No, I don't know dude. what was wrong with it, but it no looked bad, way. dude. His face has nothing. I mean, sorry, Johnny and Jacek's forehead has nothing on on Lubin's face. I mean, it looked like it was warping and kind of going off to the side. It was it was. Uh, Getting to a point that it could be something very dangerous. I don't know if there's any update on his injury, but something had to be broken, right? Yeah, I mean, between the eyes, I think, even. And that was the part that really it made me sad because Lubin, you know, he really suffered a, a reputational harm as a consequence of the loss to Charlo from that first round knockout. It was terrible. And everyone's like, oh, he doesn't have a good chin. And he did get yeah. knocked down here. But this fight wasn't stopped because his chin failed him. This fight was stopped because some kind of injury 
was looking really dangerous. And so Lubin, yeah. while he was, and that, that was the other part, Lubin was winning on the scorecards. But dude, to me, it's like Fundora's capacity for volume, it doesn't make sense that he fights this way. But beating a guy as quality as Lubin, he is the rightful guy to challenge for all the belts, whoever wins between Charlo and Castaño. It's it. 100%, dude. And and he's he looks like a really good kid. He's got a, a good head on his shoulders. Um, he, he almost has sort of like an innocence to him a little bit. And, mm-hmm. uh, dude, he, I mean, he he's definitely working hard. And uh, I, I give him a chance against the winner of Charlo versus Castaño. He's probably going to be the underdog, obviously. But uh, he's evolving. He, he works hard at the gym, you can tell. And uh, he's disciplined. And he definitely has a shot. And if you're asking which belt that is, since Charlo and Castaño are fighting for all of the major ones in the weight class, this is the interim one. So, you know, nice that he got one, but he even said, I want the real one. I want the one. And I didn't think he was going to do it either, dude. I really thought Lubin was going to get it. But Fundora, extremely impressive in his his win. All right, let's talk about this. Over on DAZN, Ryan Garceau demolished Emmanuel uh, Tago. I think is how they pronounce it. Not Tago, but Tago. In a unanimous decision victory, obviously, I said on DAZN. Okay, I got to tell you, this was his first new fight with Joe Goosen. He trained with him a long time ago. He'd been uh, more recently with in Canelo's team with Eddie Reynoso. Goosen known for a come-forward fight style. Now, Danny, you know this as well as I do. Depending on... <laughs> okay, we may have further technical difficulties with Danny. We'll see what happens. But this is the point I wanted to make. You guys let me know if he's around. This is the point. If you watch this fight, and DAZN, by the way, even if you're not a DAZN subscriber, just sort of a heads up, they put out like 15 minutes of highlights on this. It wasn't that Ryan Garcia didn't look good. He looked fine. It wasn't that he didn't have big punches or he dropped a, you know, uh, Tego in the second. He did. But, and again, a huge part of this could be Garcia looked a certain way based on who he was fighting. He wouldn't try some of those things against somebody else who might offer more of a threat. Fair enough. But I did not love the way that he fought. Not because it cost him. It didn't. Not because it was not exciting at times. It was. But what really bummed me out was that, like, it, it, A, it wasn't as effective as it needed to be, partly because of Tego's game plan. But the other part was it left, like, so much wide open space for counterattacks that, yes, while I outside wonder if, if those openings were a function of just who he fought, but I don't know, because Tego was kind of connecting a little bit later in the fight. I'm just pointing out, if that's the way he fought just this time, no problem. No problem. It's fine for what it was. If that's his new style, and again, it's not like he looked completely new, but you know, really emphasizing certain parts of the Ryan Garcia experience. If that's what he takes into fights against Devin Haney, Lopez, Cambosis, Davis... Or, you know, we'll see if he goes to 140 or not. But if he fights any of those guys with that style, he's going to get lit on fire. That is not a style at all that's going to serve him well against the very best that this division has to offer. And again, I'll say it. A lot of guys, Taylor, it was his first fight back in 15 months. He'd had surgery. He changed camps. He had flirted with, and, and, and I should say, let me be more accurate about it. He had talked about publicly serious mental health issues. Fine. I don't. And getting a win here was important, and they selected an opponent where they made that possible as they could. Fine. I'm just telling you, if what you saw in this fight is taken over to any fight against anybody who's really respected this division, Ryan Garcia is going to taste the canvas a lot. Danny, you saw this fight. 
You know what I'm talking about. Do you share my trepidation or do you have a more optimistic view? Um, I do share them, but I do have also a little bit of a more optimistic view in the sense that, yes, he does have these deficiencies in his uh, striking defense and, you know, against a, a big puncher like Tank Davis or, or some of the other guys or somebody as technical as, as Haney, like that's that's definitely going to cost them. Uh, but at the same time, how, how old is Ryan? Like 23, 24? Yeah, I'll look um, it up, I mean, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's still very, very young. Tank Davis is like 27. All these other guys have like a few years above him. So in uh, in evolution, in training, in fights, in experience, et cetera, et cetera. And I like that he's now with Joe Goosen. Joe Goosen is, is obviously a, a very respected coach, a veteran. Uh, there you go. Um, somebody that's very structured, someone that's very serious, someone that's not going to be just a yes man. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I think the, the evolution is still very early into – Ryan's career, but just because he's such a big star, we, we're already kind of putting him up with these bigger names that are far, farther along in the evolution and uh, and in that progress. So, so well, let's wait and see. If these striking deficiencies still exist a year or two from now, we don't see improvement. I think there's something to to worry about. Okay, fair enough. L- longer view is is certainly warranted here. One more note on this fight before we move on to DMs. Uh, I was looking, I always check YouTube trending on various points of Sunday, and these are all, uh, you know, a function of what your geographic location is. So if you're in the UK, you'll have a different one than if you're in the United States. But here in the States, I checked it on Sunday several different times. Of all the fights that took place over the weekend, so Triple G, so the Showtime one, so UFC, and now this one, the one that was highest up in terms of the ranking, sitting at number two is the highest I saw it may have gone higher was the Ryan Garcia fight the uh, highlights really? on the zone. Yeah. There were there were more UFC Hamzat videos on the top 25 or whatever it, it is. So there was more of them, but the highest placed one was Ryan Garcia. Dude, he is still extremely popular as an attraction. Oh yeah, huge. And he taps into the pop culture audience like the sort of uh, Jake Pauls and Nelk Boys and, and sort of he's friends with all those people. <laughs> so um you know, he's definitely into like another world beyond the uh, combat sports world as far as uh, star wise and, and look i mean i think he he obviously uh, has a lot of traction um i don't know if we're going to discuss what's next for him but i, I want to see him in a big fight i think it's so early in his career that even if he takes an l dude there's so much time to recover and it'll be like a redemption story etc cetera, etc cetera. i think uh the time is now to put ryan garcia in a big fight <sighs> i don't know i don't know i'm i, I have a little bit more concern than you I, I, your point is well taken but Ugh, this was this was this was to me. He looked a little rusty to me. He looked rusty to me. You didn't look rusty to you. I mean, he hadn't fought in a while. Broke, you know, suffered issues with the hand. Also, as you mentioned, the mental health issues. And also, let's be fair. His opponent didn't go in there to fight, man. His opponent no, just went didn't. to go the distance, and and that's tough. In MMA, it's it's a lot easier to get a guy out of, out of there if they don't want to fight you. But in boxing, with those big gloves, it's it's a lot easier to you know sort of. Uh, carry yourself and put yourself in, in a decision and just lose every single round. I mean, I saw Yodrim go three rounds with Canelo. You know what I'm saying? In MMA, that would never happen. Like a world-class fighter, you know, going three rounds with uh, with somebody that's that's not so great. So I think um, he did a little look a little bit rusty, but his opponent had a lot to deal with it too. All right. That concludes our top five topics here for the day. Let's move now to the next segment of the show. It's time for DMs from Donks. This is where all the donks get to ask us questions. Hee-haw. All right, you guys know how it works. Every Sunday, we post a little video, or I'm sorry, a little photo on Instagram, and then in the comments, we ask for your submissions. The producers pick them. I haven't seen them, 
but I think I have them now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let's see. Do I have them there? Gaff? Just put them up on the screen. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All right, from Buzz the Blogger. Is Ray Longo underappreciated by MMA fans and media? He coached Matt Serra to beat GSP. He coached Chris Weidman to beat Anderson Silva. Now he just coached Aljamain Sterling to beat Peter Jan, Piotr Jan. Is it time, Danny Segura, for everyone to put some respect over there on Ray Longo's name? All right. All right, so Danny's gone. I'm not sure what we're going to do about this because this is an ongoing challenge. So what I will say to that is it's a fair point by Danny. The only point that I would raise here is um, I lived through the post-Sarah and post-Wideman media cycles where he got a lot of attention and all of it was warranted. Um, so to me, you know, I, I may have slept on Sarah, and I did pick Wideman to beat Silva, by the way, so that wasn't as much of a surprise. But certainly I never thought in a million years Sarah was going to win. So that was no shock at all. Um, uh, or that, sorry, that was the, the, I mean, that was, you know, I never, never saw that coming. So I think that there might be a, 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 an argument to be made that like, you know, through various years, media cycles, that there's not enough attention on Longo these days. But I can tell you over the course of his career, he's gotten a lot of praise from folks. Um, the, the, the bigger point for me is that, you know, for Longo to do what he's doing is 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 remarkable, but I understand why. Like, oh, like when 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 Sterling's like, how did all these people get it wrong, dude? If all we have, we're not there with Longo. You know, all we have is what we saw, what we what they in the first fight, what they say in the media, clips of training footage, and that's it. There's not much. There's not much to go on besides that. It's it. it, it we have very little information about what to, 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 to make a determination. So, of course, you're going to have incomplete information. You know, Longo is there. He can see it all. They can bring this all to bear. And so he can go in there with a lot of confidence. Like you heard some of the things he was telling Aljamain between rounds, like different fight, blah, blah, blah. You know, he has this long arc of history. He can see all this stuff and he's there day to day. So, like, you know, this is sort of a separate question rather than, you know, who likes Longo, who doesn't, does he get enough praise? I think if you've been around long enough, you've seen Longo definitely get his flowers. But yes, this only adds to the mystique. But I was just sort of making a larger point. You know, he's going to have a very inspired view of Aljamain in part because they train together and they're, you know, they're close in association, but also because he was there for the last camp. That's a lot of information. I didn't, I didn't know if he could do that. Turns out he could. Next question. Here we go. Now I got these in front of me. Uh, from O'Reilly7402, which fighter has the better chance of becoming a UFC champ or at least having the best, better career in the UFC? Patty Pimblett or Ian Gary? Oof. Well, becoming champ, I'll say Gary, but they're both very far from that. And that's not, that's not me hating. That's just saying, just watching their placement does, does not in any way mean they won't get there, but they're, they've got work to do. Uh, in terms of having the better career, Patty looks to me like he's already got a lot of popularity to work with, and if he can usefully manage that and turn it into something, we just talked about Korean Zombie. Now, Korean Zombie's mystique is based off of not just you know taking a lot of punches, but also getting a twister, knockout wins, all the kinds of things he's done to capture the fan base. So you have to go in there and do that. Um, but in terms of like you know obviously where they're at, I'll say I have a I have a higher I don't have enough information to answer this one very accurately. My feeling as it stands, you're asking me this today, is that I have a higher upside view of Gary, but 
I don't know that that's true. I could be totally wrong. So take that for what it's worth. All right. From uh, the the ever reliable Telvin Kipapa, best MMA walkout song ever. Um, the Zombie by the Cranberries is probably up there. Anybody who says Sweet Caroline should be defenestrated. It's the worst fucking song ever. It's never been cool. It's never been good. You can only sing it when you're drunk. No one, I mean, no one really wants to sing that sober, and there's a good reason for that. It fucking sucks, and I hate it. So let's put that as the number one most awful. Uh, but if we're talking best, that's a good one. I've seen some other good, you know, when he used to come out, this, this sounds antiquated, but when Vanderlei Silva used to walk out to Sandstorm by Darude and Pride, dude, that was huge. And that song blows, but like that walkout was epic. Um, so those are up there. What's some other good ones? Um, I think Tony Ferguson's got a great walkout song with like the sort of 80s b-boy dance thing. Um, but you know, those, those are probably some top top ones. All right, from TVGC MMA, should UFC introduce yellow cards like in Pride, though for inaction for both ground up and ground and stand up? I've I've long believed that this is a great thing. There was you heard there was a little bit of chatter on Twitter on Saturday night when when uh, Joe Rogan was like, I don't believe in stand ups at all. If a guy can hold you down, then that's what you should you should hold it down. There's this sense, and I think that's wrong. By the way, I mean it's just a difference of opinion, but I, I would disagree with Rogan pretty considerably. For a lot of reasons. One is that people think a fight should be pure and that you shouldn't interfere with it in some way by putting certain rules and restrictions on it. And the thing that is most open is the one that is the most truthful and therefore should not in any way be um, altered. I don't really agree with that. I mean, yes, you don't want to have so much heavy handedness that the fight becomes unrecognizable to what it should be. But what I would say is having a mechanism. First of all, there's no such thing as a fight's purity. More to the point. You know, wrestling is a part of MMA. In wrestling, the referees are aggressive about enforcing action. Borrowing wrestling without wrestling's mechanisms for making wrestling even remotely exciting seems like a terrible idea, right? Yes, we want the sport to be authentic, okay, as possible, but we are selling tickets to this. There does need to be, if not an entertainment quotient, the action needs to keep moving, Um Unless there are very specific considerations, like someone's got the back or whatever. Short of that, we got to keep this thing moving. It's better for the sport. I think it's better for the the observational experience, and it is part and parcel of what makes sport what it is. If you want sport to be, listen. If you wanted to have MMA fights where there weren't time limits and whatever else uh, outside of, of commission restriction, if you could find a place to do it, and you want to do it as an experiment to see what would happen, that's fine. I don't think you get a better product in the end. From uh, CLP Film, Herb Dean made the right call by stopping Volk and KZ when he did, but only after both Zombies Corner and the Ring Doctor said he was okay to continue. This again brings up the tenuous issue, who should stop the fight when the fighter is too tough for their own good? Well, it's why you don't want one or the other. It's why you want the referee to have that capacity for the ringside. Well, only the ringside doctor can do it, but once the fight is starting, the, the referee can do it. The corner can wave it off. And then the doctor can tell the referee what his opinion is or her opinion. You want all of those safety valves in place in case there are multiple forms of failure. And in fact, that's how you would have to get to a situation where, in fact, you had that. You would have to get to a moment where um, all of those safety valves have failed. And then 
the fight keeps going. But you, you want as many of those in place as possible. Now, it, what, what that ends up doing is it creates this sort of situation where it's like, well, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. And then nobody ends up doing it. But in general, what I would say is that it's not, that's not typically the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that the people who don't want to do it, the doctor in Nevada is going to be a little bit more forgiving. And the the corners in MMA, you know, listen, I'm not saying that Korea, the Korean zombie doesn't have a good corner. He has a great corner. Those guys know a lot about him, and I know that they care about him. All those things are true. But when it that they should not have sent him back out there for that fourth round. They, they did not do him any favors. I strenuously disagree with that decision to do that, even in a title fight. You saw what it got him. didn't get him anything. And I, as a general perspective, I believe in MMA, we're going we're gonna to have to see something tragic happen before there's any wake-up call on this. I don't think you can argue. There's nothing I, Luke Thomas, can say to convince people who have been in cornering for 5, 10, 15 years or however long it's been, who've been in these gyms, who've been in coaching. I'm going to come up here and declare to them, you should stop this fight. They're going to tell me to go fuck myself until something catastrophic happens that speaks to these broader concerns that, that people raise. There won't be a eureka moment. It's just the way it goes, unfortunately. Just just the reality of things. Um, so there's that. All right. Uh, we're almost done here because we've had... All right. I guess I just have to end this one on my own. <laughs> on my own. Uh, last but not least, we do odds and ends. So I put out a call for have you seen this shit stuff? And then you guys sent me, there was a few good ones. There was a few good ones. But the overwhelming majority was stuff I couldn't use. Someone literally sent me a TikTok of just appreciating Wonder Woman's ass. I was like, it's not anything I can really use today. Thank you. Um, Okay. Be that as it may. Odds and ends. I did want to remind folks of the upcoming Bellator fight card. I don't know if we have a picture of it or a video of it or, or not. If we do, I'd like to see it just the same. But I wanted to remind folks, Friday on Showtime. Here it is. McKee, Pitbull 2, two world title fights. Friday on Showtime. This is not Showtime pay-per-view, of course. Just regular old Showtime. So Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, pound sand. By the way, Showtime did not ask me to make this my odds and ends. I'm doing this because, listen, you guys know when Bellator doesn't put on a good product, I'm going to say it sucks. I don't care. I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm not going to tell you guys something I think is bad is good just because of who I work for. And if they don't like it, tough. But here's what I am going to do. If the product is good, I'm going to tell you this is a good product. Nemkov versus Anderson, to me, has very much the winner getting a rightful claim to being the very best light heavyweight on earth. And again, that's debatable, certainly, of course, no doubt about it. And everyone's like, oh, Corey Anderson's lost in the UFC. Well, if you haven't been paying attention to what he's been doing, you're missing out on some pretty epic performances. And Vadim Nemkov appears to be the real deal Holyfield. Um, shocking what he can do, how how talented he is. Not perfect by any stretch, but he's got so much going for him. And then you have the greatest fighter in Bellator history against the greatest homegrown product I've maybe ever seen top to bottom. Here we have Danny coming on in. Incredible fight card. Danny, thoughts on this fight card? Sorry about all the technical issues. It is what it is. We have a very particular setup. It's not what people think, so it's hard to explain. But in any case, your thoughts on this on this particular fight card? Just real quick, I know somewhere BC has a big smile on his face, but uh, anyways, neither here or there. Um, dude, this fight card is amazing. I mean, McKee is, I don't know exactly where he's at, but it's certainly he's a great fighter and uh, among the very best. And the more he fights, the more answers we get. So certainly uh, one of the great one of the greats that we're seeing at 145 pounds. So that's a must watch. If he wins the rematch convincingly, just as he did the first fight, dude, you 
I mean, he, he's up there. He's in that conversation for sure. And the same thing can be said about light heavyweight. Corey Anderson was a top contender in the UFC. Vadim Nankov seems to be the real deal and just running through everyone as well. I'm super excited for these Bellator fights. All right. And then for you, your odds and ends are what, good sir? Yeah, so I don't know if we want to play the video, uh, but uh, so I wanted to get, um, not provide an update, but more pr to provide like a lack of update on Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Obviously, we just saw the featherweight title be in display on Saturday, so he's very relevant in the conversation. But uh, I had asked Ali Abdelaziz, his manager, maybe like a month ago at an Eagle FC event, hey, what's up with Zabit? He kind of danced around the answer and said, look, Zabit's going to come back whenever he's going to come back. I asked Dana White uh, at the presser on Saturday, hey, what's going on with Zabit? I don't know what's going on with Zabit. And he was like genuinely surprised that that kind of question mm. uh, took him by surprise. So um, so I don't know what's going on with Zabit. So the question that I want to throw to you is, has his body of work expired? Can we forget about him as a contender now and he has to start over when he comes back? Because the last time he fought, scientists didn't even, didn't even know COVID-19 existed. And I'm not talking about the Florida scientists talk about yeah uh the, the the other ones i mean this the last time he fought was back in november 2019 Four quickly we have audio hold on we have we, we they, they have they have the audio of this let's let's okay. roll it let's do it we saw the featherweight belt on the line uh, a lot of contenders obviously in the division but a lot of people are wondering what's going on with zabid magomed sharipov do you, do you know what's going on with him uh what's the update he hasn't fought in a while and we just haven't I'm what's sure. going on with zabid oh zabid I don't know what's going on with Zabit. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. When's the last time you talked? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. The matchmakers would know what's going on with that. I, I don't. I have no idea. We had spoken about uh, Magomed Sharipov and uh, Zabit <laughs> and sort of his future. And you said that you were going to go and meet with the UFC and discuss what's next. That and you said like in, in the next couple of weeks, meaning uh, almost a month ago now. Can you give us an update on him? Let me give you an update. What about Eagle FC's rating? They have, I think, total of 930,000 views, 57% in the U.S., 20% in Canada. Russia is the fourth. I believe Australia is the third, right? I think the uh, Eagle FC, their rating is off the roof. Honestly, I, I, would, I didn't believe it. <laughs> and I went back to the guys who run this place and I said, can you give me the numbers? And they gave me the numbers. And I think PFL, to almost get one million views uh, for the first show, I think was unbelievable. We'll get back to Zabit. Zabit, I think, uh, I don't know what Zabit's down. You know, uh, when he's ready to fight, he's going to let me know. But for right now, he's not doing nothing. Well, I appreciate the time, Ali. I know we got a presser that's about to start, wow. so appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. There you so, have it. There you have it. Very cryptic stuff. And if you look at his Instagram, he's not really training. It's mostly him helping his brother Hassan, who's a very good fighter in, in Bellator. And also, you know how I'm super annoying with my 1997 Land Rover Discovery, and I take mad pictures of it and put it on Instagram? He's the same way, but the Caucasus Mountain version. He has this badass black horse and takes pictures of the horse at the beach, running around. He even has like fan art on, on his Instagram about the horse. Uh, pretty cool stuff, but not much fighting. Well, it's unfortunate to hear, but if he's happy, that's really all I care about. I guess we'll have to see. It's a good, 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 uh, good thing to ask Dana about. All right, Danny, that is the show for today. Sorry for all the tech difficulties out there, folks. We will work on it. And I'll also say this. Next time we get down to Miami, we got to bring you in studio. We should be a little bit cleaner with that. Danny, good work over the weekend. And uh, thank you so much. I want to remind folks, Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That will be the email. Uh, let's see. 
Um, NordVPN, want to thank them. Morningcombat.store, of course, for the merch store, for anyone looking for that. And uh, yes, that is a show. More to come on Extra Credit. Be on the lookout for it, plus some other stuff we got coming. We got a big surprise coming for you guys very, very soon. I am traveling to another city tomorrow for something kind of fun, so we'll see how that goes. No, 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 no details beyond that, but be on the lookout for it. Um, okay, Danny, thank you so much. Thanks to Malka. Thanks to Showtime. Thank you to, of course, CBS Sports. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.